Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. I got a lot going on inside this morning. We're, we're going to be talking about love because it is that season in Advent, but I was over here last night praying and praying again this morning, and then the Lord was talking to me a little bit as we were worshiping. I believe God wants to unlock something for us this morning. Uh, we often talk in Advent, it, it, Advent, that word means the arrival, so we're talking about how, you know, love arrived, hope arrived, peace arrived. But this morning, I want to talk specifically about receiving and then living in that love. We, we talk a lot here at LFC, and rightly so, about being a loving people. We love and serve God. We love and serve others. But at times, maybe not for you and just for me, there can be a disconnect between giving love, understanding that God loves us, and actually internally, experientially receiving the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And, and the reason I'm saying I've got a lot of stuff going on inside of me is I'm, I'm feeling just a little bit fired up. And I want to tell you why. I believe that the enemy of your soul will do everything he can do to convince you that you are not loved by God, that somehow you have disqualified yourself from receiving the love that God's word says he so freely offers. And if the enemy of your soul can keep you from understanding and receiving the love of God, you will never be able to experience the joy, the peace, and the hope that we talk about during the arrival. So part of what I want to do today, I got to calm myself down a little bit, Partly, I want to teach you, but partly, I want to kick that teeth, that, that lie in the teeth. I mean, there's this part of me this morning that feels like in our time together, we are going after a spiritual stronghold, that there is something that has tried to root itself in your heart or in your mind. We are not just going to deconstruct or dismantle that. My prayer is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, if that lie has worked its way any way into your being, it is going to be obliterated. Can we do that together this morning? I, Jesus is inviting us into some freedom. And let me tell you, some of you may just, if you feel yourself getting a little unsettled as I'm speaking this morning, maybe even getting a little agitated, can I just tell you what that is? That's your enemy not wanting you to hear the word of God that will set you free. So you just lock down, you lean in, you say, Holy Spirit, help me to listen, help me to attend, help me to hear what, not what John, but what Jesus wants me to hear this morning. You ready? Okay, I think I'm ready too. We'll find out together. Here's the challenge with receiving or accepting love. I think the fact of the matter is, if we're honest with one another, we would say very often we feel unlovely. We feel unlovable. We feel undeserving of God's love. If you feel that way, I've got good news for you. It's true. You don't deserve God's love. How is that good news? Well, one, it means you're practicing great self-awareness. Two, Jesus came anyway. So it seems to me the fact of whether or not we are deserving of God's love in no way, shape, or form plays into whether or not he 
loves us. God shows up anyway because that's what love does. The Bible opens with the story of God showing up, Genesis 1. God shows up, and and God brings order out of chaos. The Bible closes, Revelation, with the story of God showing up. And from Genesis through Revelation, God shows up time and time and time again, often to people who aren't living in a way that would demonstrate God should really, really love me. But why does God keep showing up? God keeps showing up because of the love he has for us. The creation story sets the stage for what will be a central theme in the the relationship between God and humanity. God stepping into chaos and producing order. God stepping into darkness and bringing forth light. God stepping into absence and bringing meaning and a sense of purpose. And he does it by bringing out of his very essence, giving of himself. Something comes from him that is created beautifully. But then God doesn't just step back and admire his handiwork. The Genesis story is God, because he is a loving God, as we sang this morning, is always postured to give away what he has. So he creates Adam and Eve, and he gives to them what he has just made. God is always oriented to give to those he loves. Adam and Eve, at that point in the story, had done nothing to deserve anything God was doing. Shortly before, Adam was dirt. Eve was a rib. It was not like they were super high-functioning people doing these amazing things. And so God says, here. God is predisposed to express his love toward us powerfully and tangibly. He doesn't just give him the garden. He cultivates relationship with him, and we know the rest of the story. Adam and Eve make a decision to make themselves pretty unlovable. They essentially say to God, you're doing an okay job. We think we can do better. They rebel, step outside of his lordship, try to take control. And in their rebellion, one of the consequences is they distance themselves from the love of God. Now, there is no point in the story where I ever read God saying to Adam and Eve, I don't love you anymore, or I don't love you as much because of your sin or because of your rebellion. God's disposition didn't change, but Adam and Eve did something that created distance between them and God, and so it became more difficult to receive, to live in his love. And as they left the garden, there there could have been a moment in time where, where Adam is thinking of that place where he was so fulfilled, so present with God. Bible says they would walk together in the cool of the day. They'd talk and Adam would have turned and looked over his shoulder to the last place he really felt the love of God. He found the way blocked. Not like kind of blocked, like giant angel with a flaming sword, kind of blocked, like majorly blocked, which was a bummer. Except the love of God does not give up, and God doesn't stop loving us when we're unlovely. Because God's love for us is not based on our accomplishments. It's not based on what we do or don't do. God's love for us is based on, is rooted in, is established by his character itself. Scripture says God is love. And so when he is loving us, it is simply an expression of who he is. So love opens doors, guys, even when we have slammed them shut. And God said to Adam and he said to Eve, you messed up, you blew it, you got to go, but this is not the end of the story. I will once again show up 
to bring order out of your chaos. I will once again show up to bring light in your darkness. I will show up once again to bring purpose where you feel purposeless. And throughout the years, time and time again, as God watched over Adam's descendants, he would speak to them a word of encouragement, of hope, through a prophet or a judge, just to keep them going, to remind them that these promises he made were deeply rooted in the love he has for them. Isaiah 54.10, one of my favorite verses. If the mountains were to crumble, he says, and the hills disappear, my heart of steadfast, faithful love will never leave you. Let me read that again. Even if the mountains, if the world was to end, he's saying, my heart of steadfast, unchanging, faithful love will never leave you. When will it leave you? What if you do something bad? Will it leave you then? What if you treat someone unkindly? Will it leave you then? What if you feel like you're a horrible person? Will it leave you then? Then for the love of all that's holy, why do we live that way? Did I get you with that one? Is it just me? I mean, are there times where we start living as if God's love no longer is available to us because of something we have done, thought, or said? That's what we're going after today. He goes on and says, My covenant of peace with you will never be shaken, whose love and compassion will never give up on you. This is the story of God's pursuit of his people. It's founded on his unconditional, unshakable covenant love. A covenant love is a love that cannot be broken. So during Advent, we, we light the candles as a reminder. We, we, we celebrate how Jesus came to us, and, and we should. But we have to remind ourselves as well that love is why he came. He may have arrived bringing peace and hope and joy, but love was his motivation. How do I know that? 1 John 4, verse 9. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. John 1.16, from God's abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and his faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. So let's talk for a second about living in what God has already provided. God's love has already been expressed. God's love is presently being expressed. And yet something seems to trip us up. It's one thing to, to acknowledge the love of God intellectually. We can say to each other, God loves me, God loves you. And you're, yep, I know it, I read it, I believe it's true. But it's another thing entirely to let that truth to permeate not only our thinking, but our living as well. To let it flavor our understanding both of God and of the world around us. If, if you read the New Living Translation, if that's the Bible that you read, the translation you read, you, you may know this already, that the word love is used 898 times in the New Living Translation. This is kind of a big deal for God. Now, Paul, Apostle Paul, I think he understood that we could be challenged between understanding and experiencing the love of God. 
And one of the things Paul would do when he wanted people to really get a truth, he wouldn't just teach them, he would intercede for them. He would, he would pray and ask God to unlock something that seemed to be locked up. So as we read this passage of Scripture, I want you to understand Paul is praying for you and me. Earlier in this chapter, he's already referred to those he's communicating with as the saints. These are people who are born again. They are saved by grace. Their sins are forgiven. They will live forever with God. Salvation is not the issue. The issue is somewhere along the way, something has happened that is making it difficult for them to really lean in and live in to the love of God. Paul sees salvation as the beginning point of a journey, not an end point. And God's love doesn't just lead us to salvation. It fuels our relationship with him. So Paul, in his mind, is saying, if we're going to get this, if we're going to know God the way he wants us to know him, love is critical. And so beginning in Ephesians 3, he says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. And I, I just, I love this. Catch this. So just let, let this picture kind of land in your head for a minute. When he says, for this reason I kneel before the Father, Paul is writing from Rome. He's under house arrest. He's likely chained to a Roman soldier. So this Roman soldier is getting some serious evangelism. Paul, chained to the Roman soldier, kneels before God and prays this way. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's great. Why? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established, another translation says grounded, in love, may have power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long, high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. So Paul says, and I'm going to lay them out for you. He says, I'm praying for three specific things for you. Remember, they're born again. So the fact that Paul is praying for them would indicate they aren't experiencing this yet, that there is something more that God has for them. We, we tend to pray for things we, we want to have happen, not, not things that are happening. It'd be very odd if I said, God, help me to stand up in front of the church at, you know, 9.43 on Sunday morning. Well, you're doing it. You don't need my help. If he's praying for it, it hasn't taken place yet. So Paul prayed these three things. He prayed that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. I'm going to go through these quickly, and we'll come back to them. So if you're like, I can't get it down that fast, we'll be back. Secondly, He prayed that we would be rooted and grounded in love so that we would have the power to comprehend God's love. Each of these prayers is for a specific outcome. Then he prayed that we would understand how vast God's love is so we could experience the fullness of God. So sometimes I have to write out Paul's prayers in slightly different words because Paul is pretty verbose. So this is what he says. Let's let's break down the first one. Paul prayed that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being for a particular reason. And that reason is that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. That's verse 16 where he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. 
our inner being is constantly being buffeted, being assaulted by external forces. Some of them are active. Some of us have people in our lives who are constantly buffeting, harassing, attacking our inner being. Sometimes it's more passive, where it's, you find it in, in the media. Media presenting a fake standard of beauty that tells us we don't meet it. Social media presenting a photoshopped picture of success and then reminding us that we don't meet it. When we are inundated with images of the unattainable and then reminded that we are below that, it begins to flavor and shape our self-talk. Our inner being gets torn down by these external influences that we begin to internalize. We begin to say, though not out loud, we begin to believe, maybe that's a better word, I am ugly, I am unlovely, I am unsuccessful. And when you have people in your life that feel it's their ministry to share those same things with you, anybody have people who have the ministry, ministry of discouragement? Yep. I see two hands from someone in the back. Yeah. It, it comes at a cost. And rather than become stronger in our inner being, we're torn down over time. And this assault, Paul would say, isn't something that we can stand up to in our own strength. But God will provide a way. Paul says, like originally in the garden, God takes from himself and begins to give it away. That's what it means when he says, I pray that by his spirit, you will be empowered, you will find power in your inner being. You and I live in a culture that celebrates the external. It's how you look, how you sound, how many followers you have. But God is intent on shaping and reshaping the inside. This, what is inside you, who you really are, this is where you bear the image of God. When Scripture says we bear God's image, it doesn't mean you look in the mirror and go, oh, that's what Jesus looked like. Jesus didn't look like me. Uh, he had dark skin, lived on the other side of the world. He did not look like this. But I bear within me the image of God. And so that is where God wants to begin to strengthen me. God is more concerned with what's going on on the inside than what things look like on the outside. I've got a verse I could read. I'm not going to do that. We're going to run out of time. But here's what I want you to catch. Because God is more concerned with what's going on internally. Because God's love is already freely given. If you and I want to experience God's love, we have to stop trying to earn it. Let me say that to you again. If we want to experience the love of God, we have to stop trying to earn it because the fact of the matter is I will never be good enough to deserve it. And as long as I am trying to prove to God that I'm getting better and better and doing better and better, so maybe he should love me, I'm trying to project something his way when he's trying to send love my way. A change of behavior as it relates to God is a byproduct of love. It is not a love activator. God doesn't look at me and go, oh, you're doing better now than yesterday, so I'm going to love you a little bit more. Paul says God strengthens us by the power of his spirit so that he might dwell in our hearts by faith. Remember, he's talking to people who are already born again. 
So this isn't like an asking Jesus into my heart thing. There is something deeper that Paul is trying to put his finger on. The word dwell means to settle down. It means to feel at home. The same way that the the glory of God or the presence of God would come to settle or rest upon the temple. And when we're talking about love, the, the idea of feeling at home in our heart is really very, very important. There's a big difference between my house and your house. And it's not where it is. It's not the size. It's not the color. It's not the location. It's that my house is my home and your house is not. My house is my home. It's where I belong. It's where I'm at peace. It's where I'm comfortable. And Paul is praying that God would find a home, that God would find a place of belonging in our soul. That's what heart means in this context. That God would find a place of belonging in our thinking, in our will, even in our emotions. Not that we would find a home, that he would find a home. Now, if you're over at my home at about 9 o'clock at night, I can tell you something that's going to happen between 9 and 9.05. I'm kicking you out. Like, I, I love you. We're having a great time. But I know that I'm going to get up a little bit before 5 o'clock, and I want to go to bed. You're a visitor. After 9.05, you're an intruder. But up to 9, you're, you're a visitor. And because you're a visitor, it's understood there is a point in time where you are going to leave. And when Paul is praying that God would dwell in our hearts, that he would would find a home in our hearts, he's praying that the Holy Spirit would grant us the strength to allow him into our hearts, our will, our emotions, our thinking in a way that he is ever-present and always at home. There are places in our hearts that from time to time we shut Jesus out. Like, you're good here. Not here. It's messy. Messy over here. You ever come home and tell your spouse, hey, I I invited so-and-so over. They're going to be here in 15 minutes, and your spouse loses their mind? Like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Do you realize what our house looks like? God's at home in your mess. And God loves you in your mess. Paul is saying, may you never be alone in your thoughts or in your emotions. May God be ever present there with the love that he has for you. May the Holy Spirit grant you the strength not to push God away in those critical places. Left to my own devices, I'm pushing them out. I'll get spun up in what I'm thinking or feeling. And and Paul is saying, may the Holy Spirit grace you with the power to never be alone in that space of your thoughts, to never be alone or lost in your emotions. And he goes on to say, because when God is at home, when he's not a visitor that's going to get kicked out, when he's at home there, always present in my thoughts and my emotions and my will. Then he says, my roots will grow deep into his love and keep me strong. Roots have two very important functions. One, it's, it's the part of the plant that draws nutrients from the soil in which it's planted. 
And Paul is saying, may you always be nourished by the love of God. Where the soil is deficient, the plant will wither and die. When I was uh, in my last couple of years of high school, we lived in Goleta. And if I'm sitting in the living room and I'm watching TV, I'm 10 minutes from the bath or 10 steps from the bathroom, and probably 20 steps from the backyard out the slider. And so, of course, I'm a 17-year-old male. If anyone was gone and I was the only one at home, I'm not taking the 10 steps to the bathroom. I'm taking the 20 steps out to the door, and I'm going to pee on the boxwood right next to the slider. Why? Because I'm a guy. Fellas, some of you were looking at me like you wouldn't do that. And can I just say, you're just doing that because of whoever's sitting next to you? We all know you would pee on the plant if you had the choice. Over the course of time, the plant starts to die. Huh, I wonder why. I remember listening to my mom one day, and she's talking to my dad, and she's like, I'm watering it. I'm watering it. I don't, the house was a rental. Didn't occur to me we needed to keep these plants alive. I can't, I can't figure out why this thing is dying. And I'm like, oh, I can. It was never going to get the nutrients it needed. But if God is at home in my heart, if I'm nourished, if he's given permission to be ever-present, I am nourished by the love of God himself. It feeds me and it sustains me, which is why I can find peace in troubled times and joy in the source of, in the face of sorrow. It's because I'm drawing sustenance from a supernatural source. The second function that a root system has is to stabilize. And some days I feel really unstable. I have information coming to me so fast now I can't assimilate it. And from time to time, I feel just a little bit shaky. And if you want to not feel shaky, you need a solid foundation. And when Paul says that you would be established or grounded in the love of God, he's using an architectural term. It's a Greek word that had to do with the establishment of a foundation. Jesus says in Matthew 7, we have some say in what kind of foundation we build upon. And he goes on to say, in life, storms are coming. It's not maybe, it's when. Storms are coming. He says the rain's coming, the flood's coming, the, wood, the wind's coming. But if, you're, if your house is built on a solid foundation, it will not fall. And Paul is saying the paramount foundation for us to build upon is the love that God has for us. If we are able to build upon the love that God has for us, if we're not pushing him out, we're letting the love of God flavor how we think, how we speak, even how we feel, we will be unshakable. Fear and anxiety won't control us because we're grounded in the love of God. Confusion and doubt won't cripple us because we are founded, rooted, grounded in the love of God. Insecurity, it won't isolate us. Why? Because we're grounded in the, the love of God. And shame will not sideline us because we are grounded in the love of God. Now, I want to take you back to the beginning just for a minute because right now you could be going, I want it, I want it, I can't do it. Let me just remind you that Paul began with a prayer that asked God, to make this possible for us by the power of his Holy Spirit. 
This is where we're going. We're going to a moment of invitation and reception where we say, God, by your spirit, and God says, okay. So if you are starting to get stuck on how do I, you don't, aside from the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says in the second part of the prayer, he says, as this happens, he prays that we would be rooted and grounded in love, that we would have the power to comprehend God's love. He goes on to say, and I I need to close, so I'm going to, we may come back to this another day. Paul is saying basically this, the love of God is so freaking big, you can't get your head around it. And yet, you can begin to experience it. And then when you experience it, you can begin to understand it a little bit more. And then you experience it a little bit more, and then you understand it a little bit more. But when he says, I pray that you would understand the height, depth, width, and length of God's love, he's saying it's it's incomprehensible. If you're going to, this is part of our faith journey, guys. If you're going to like sit here and go, okay, as soon as I figure out the love of God, then maybe I'll give him a chance. It's a non-starter and you're dead in the water. There has to come a moment of faith, desperation, or invitation where we say, God, I am so sick of living in my own brokenness that keeps me isolated that I am going to choose to believe that you love me as much as you say you do. And I am going to make myself available to your Holy Spirit to give me the power to receive that love. This is not something that takes place apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. You can be loved and born again, great. But if you want to be filled, as he'll say in a minute, to all the, the, the measure of the fullness of God, if you want to get a hold of how deeply God loves you, if you want to begin to understand the amazing plans that God has in store for you, whether you're 7 or 77, You must come, I must come to a place where I say, Holy Spirit, help me understand the love of God. Help me to receive the love of God. Because if I don't receive the love of God, I am never going to come to that place of either experience or understanding. God will still love me. But like Adam on the outside, I won't be experiencing the fullness of that love the way he intends me to. This is a lot, I know. Are you tracking with me even a little bit? You, you staying with me? Okay, yeah, proud of you guys. You're doing good. You have to be grounded in it to understand it. Like salvation, the love of God is something we receive by faith. Because it just doesn't make sense to my head. God, how would you love me that way? As I am, it's so counterintuitive. And then here's, here's another promise of God from Paul. What God provides, he also preserves. Sometimes we battle in this place. I know that I'm loved. I, I, I know it, I read it, John preached it, I get it. But I messed up again. I just, I did it again. Whatever the it is for you. 
And so we, we feel the need to step back as if that has somehow so offended God that he's changed the way he feels or behaves toward us. Paul says in Romans 8, can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or if we're hungry or destitute or in danger or even threatened with death? He says, no. Despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours in Christ who loved us. I am convinced. This is not Paul saying, I think. This is Paul saying, I have experienced and so I know. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Whatever that thing is that you think disqualifies you, discounts you, makes you live outside of the love of God, Paul addressed it when he said nothing. That thing, whatever your thing is, no thing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Neither death nor life, angels nor demons, fears for today, worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever, ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's prayer in a nutshell, that God would dwell in our hearts, that we would comprehend God's love and experience the fullness of God. This he says is done by the power of the Holy Spirit. My question for you today, my question for you today, will you make room to experience the love of God? Would you say, dudes, I'm talking to you right now. All right, so if, if let me just have your attention, fellas. Sometimes somebody drops the L word and we check out. But can I tell you, you are as in need of and dependent upon the love of God than anyone else. In his image, he made the male and female, he made them. Love isn't a woman's thing. Are you willing today to invite the Holy Spirit to empower you that you might experience the fullness of God's love? Would you this morning choose to allow God into the rooms where you've maybe closed the door in the past understanding he's he's coming there to love you not to judge you on the condition of your room we hope you enjoyed today's message please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church thank you so much for listening